Now for something completely different. The corporeal manifestation of white noise. Here's Brian Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and people of all sexes, especially those of you with shortened fingernails in anticipation of the big announcement coming up soon, but not now. Welcome to the Are You Sick and Tired of Turkey Leftovers Yet episode of the two and only uh, weekly swan dive into the cesspool of Washington politics and media mayhem and featuring the former star of stage, screen, and newspaper. Three of those are outright lies. Me, Brian Wilson, and my partner in crime, celebrated author, notorious investigative reporter for the New York Post, author of, well, you know, and of course, with his holiday beard neatly trimmed, riding through the open sleigh, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Bovard. So, James. Hey there. Uh, thanks for your kind words. Uh, that's the standard you set for my beard to be neatly trimmed. I'll see if I can rise to that uh, lofty uh, standard. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure you always rise to the occasion, although I, I thought maybe you were pulling a Houdini on me there for a second. but uh, ah, It helps if I turn on my freaking microphone. That is, uh, I've noticed that. I've noticed that. Sometimes I've come to the microphone, I didn't have exact change. And that was always uh, a pain. Yeah, so, well, uh, you know, there was that little red flashing button. I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, you know, um, I thought I said something at least half-assed clever and no response. And I see this little flashing red light. And I say, uh, somebody failed the idiot test in Maryland. So anyhow. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you move any closer to Dundalk, we might have to have some other arrangements. I'll have to uh, see how Section 8 is doing there. <laughs> Definitely affordable. Definitely. But I don't know. Maybe it's a move up for those people. Anyway, I want to get right to it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Bovard was kind enough to forward me uh, kind of a sneak peek of the new book, Last Rights, The Death of Liberty in America. And I've got it right here. Chapter one, Tyranny Comes to Main Street. Now, Jim, I got to tell you, um, for the first chapter in the book, it's it alone is a blockbuster. But as I think I may have written you earlier this morning, as I'm reading through this thing, I'm saying, man, every sentence is its own indictment of some level of government. Oh, thanks very much. I was certainly, uh, you know, I burned and burned and whittled and whittled on that chapter. I was, I think it's around 2,500 words. It's this is my elevator pitch to new readers. And I'm hoping that it will resonate with them and that, uh, you know, that I can uh, grab them by the collar and persuade them to move on. Well, I can't see why they wouldn't. The uh, you know, the idea that this all all this stuff is 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 all current. I mean, we're not going back to you know 1776 or World War One or the Depression or any of those other things. These are all current uh, statements to current conditions that address current situations, your rights, your liberties, the status of life in America today. Uh, one of the great lines you had in there, and I'll sum I'll put this out for those of you who didn't get a copy of the first chapter. Jim wrote, we have an impunity democracy. I think that is killer. Uh, that is such a, a succinct bullseye. I mean, you can't, I mean, this is like hitting the middle of the X in the center ring of the target. It's um, impunity democracy. Government officials pay no price for their crimes. And Americans are more likely to believe in witches, ghosts, and astrology than to trust the government. Well, of course, they've earned that part as far as I'm concerned. 
The legitimacy of Washington is in tatters thanks to a long train of bipartisan perfidy and government as lawless elections merely designate the most dangerous criminals in the land. Another great line. And that's another thing about just this chapter alone. There are so many standalone sentences and a couple of sentences and small paragraphs that summarize the point under discussion or in focus. I can't wait to see the rest of the book, may I assume, that the, the way you've laid out the first chapter, uh, the rest of the book will kind of follow in the same sequence? Uh, pretty much, pretty much. There's some minor differences. I mean, I was going back and forth with editors, not not sure how to do the uh, the early sequence uh, of the chapters, but I was swayed on that, so uh, we left it as it was. Uh, but uh, the, the second chapter after the intro is on asset forfeiture, and you know, I was trying to, throughout the book, I'm looking for public policy cases that illustrate the, the nature of government and the sweep of the totally oppressive power that the government is claiming. And folks think the government's done a lot of bad things. But if you look at the, the principles, the legal principles and the moral principles, they're a lot more perilous than the vast majority of people recognize. Well, you actually, I was just trying to find it as you were speaking. You you specify in that chapter, you address the confiscation of property and money and incarceration and so on, and not just through income taxes, but through uh, through other means, uh, violating private property, the law, you know, all the rest that goes along with it. You had, you had a number in here. It was, I think you said that uh, through government confiscation, uh, government uh, takes more money than uh, people pay in taxes. Well, the, that's yeah. not quite for the asset forfeiture, but certainly- the, I was going to say, I, I, I'm not quoting this directly because I'm, right, right. I'm trying to read and talk at the same time to find exactly what you did say because it was uh, it was so yeah, spot there was, on. There was a line, uh, federal law enforcement agencies confiscate more property from Americans each year than all the burglars steal nationwide. There you go. There you go. All the is, burglars. That's the Yeah, and, uh, and the taxation is far higher but this is referring to asset forfeiture and uh, the uh, half a million Americans, even though they've not been charged with any crime, they've been robbed by government agents on the sidewalks, the highways, the airports. And folks wonder why I'm cynical. Yeah, really. Well, you, you should have had a chapter explaining that. But <laughs> the, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I started to highlight and uh, well, as a matter of fact, I did put a couple of things up on Facebook, but then I think, well, gee, maybe I should have asked you first because I, I didn't know how far you uh, wanted to let the general public know that uh, this thing was uh, standing at the edge of the diving board, ready to take the plunge into the open market. And uh, I, I hope I didn't cross any lines there. I didn't didn't know how far you were willing to go to say on, on quotes and and so on. But it's no, such a compelling no. chapter and the, the topics. And like I say, it's just like, it's like going, uh, you know, a couple of rounds with Mike Tyson, bam, 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 bam. I mean, every sentence, every paragraph, I don't mean to overplay it. I mean, I just think it's really a, a tremendous um, a construct of all these things, you know, and like you say, I, I, I don't know the majority of people are really aware of this. You know, they, oh, yeah, Biden's fallen over a sandbag or um, uh, LaPierre, the cringe, the the binder, whatever they call her, are, uh, you know, is, is kind of a doofus. And and there's uh, Musk and there's you know, these these surface issues that aren't necessarily irrelevant, but compared to the big items. You know, the taxes and the violate the incarcerations and, and all the rest of that, the whole thing that leads up to that great line about impunity government. It's um, 
it's, it's proven with the chapter because there are no facts that I'm aware of that uh, you would have could have cited that shows government employees, government officials, elected officials, anybody in a position of power and responsibility paying a price for any of this uh, skullduggery that they've been guilty of. Yeah, it's amazing how the uh, so few of the culprits have been held, uh, uh, have been convicted and sent to prison. Uh, the Mike Tyson reference, I appreciate that. Tyson was a great boxer. Uh, one of my favorites is Rocky Marciano. And um, it's something w- w- which you might recall being raised where you were and when you were. There was a style that Marciano had. He would often lead with a, a right hook. And it was just such a devastating right hook. And I was trying to get, you know, trying to get that that, that level of connection on some of these issues. Um, well, I, I think, you, uh, not, not to mix the metaphors, but I think you hit it out of the park. I, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to boxing growing up in uh, outside of Manhattan. My, my grandparents lived uh, on the other side of the farm that we had. They took care of the, the bird, the chickens mostly. But uh, uh, every once in a while, we'd, uh, you know, granny would come over to babysit us because mom and dad were out doing something. <laughs> she was, uh, I think, probably in her late 60s, 70s, somewhere around there at the time. And she was a big fan of professional wrestling. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. So a lot of those uh, early wrestling stars, Antonina Rocca and, uh, you know, some of those guys, uh, She and she was into it. You know, I said, come on, Granny, this is, you know, even at my age at the time, which is, I mean, I was only 42, whatever. I was uh, um, uh, in school, grade school or whatever. And we all knew it was just a big performance. No, she was, she was absolutely convinced. But I can't say that I was witness to one uh, early part of boxing history, and that for reasons unknown, my father gathered up my brother and me and drug us into the Fabian Theater in Patterson, New Jersey, to watch a closed circuit broadcast of the Clay Liston fight. Oh, really? The uh, first or the second one? The first one. The very wow. first one. Wow, that was historic. Oh, well, we, so we got in and we we went up into the balcony uh, uh, and we're sitting up there in the balcony. Of course, you know, the fight's over in, in 38 seconds or whatever the, whatever it was. And we're so, OK, let's go home. So we're coming down the stairs and all these guys are still coming in. Has it started yet? Has it started yet? It's over, you idiot. He knocked him out. So it was um, there's that picture of him standing over listening, you know, and so on. And it was, um, you know, to be able to say that. Uh, Able to say that you, you were there and you saw that live is almost as exciting as being able to say that I sat on Babe Ruth's lap. But it's uh all these little these little things that uh that pepper your formative years and so on. You well, really it's a great it. story. It's a great story to flash back to, and it's uh it's a good family memory. Now it, it brings to mind I was watching an old old broadcast of uh, Johnny Carson, and it was from November 1980. It was on the uh, on the night after the presidential election, and uh, and, uh, and he says, uh, "Yeah, it was kind of disappointing because you uh, because you have all that lead in and, and and all that excitement, and and two minutes later it's all over because it was called so early." And so he says, "And uh, so I just turned to my wife and said, well, let's get out of bed and watch the TV.'" <laughs> and if that joke doesn't work, it's fine to cut it. No, 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 no. That's that was uh, a, that was a, that was a you know. There's a reason that I don't get hired to do stand-up comedy. So, hmm. 
Well, uh, since you're out from under any legal um, exposure, as far as that's concerned. <laughs> uh, Johnny Carson is dead, and so is Ronald Reagan, or what? Yeah, well, it's, it, all parties uh, associated with the story, I think, uh, are either gone or gone, I think is my uh, is my point. But um, anyway, I didn't want to no point getting out into the uh, wild and woolly weeds of that one. Uh, turning to something a little bit more serious, I, I did want to... Um, do want to direct everybody's attention uh, to something that does not get a whole lot of attention and should be a, a subject every day is uh, Julian Assange and your uh, your piece from uh, the other day about the, the Medal of Freedom that he deserves, which I'm reasonably certain there's not a chance in hell he's going to get. But um, it's uh, certainly based on uh, those old things called principles, journalism principles and uh, fairness and legality and all the rest, transparency, they, uh, they would certainly be out there. I, I didn't know until I read your piece that the Libertarian Institute uh, was working uh, so diligently uh, on his behalf. And I wonder if on the basis of that relationship beyond what you put in the piece, is there any uh, any indication, any hope? Well, hope is too subjective. Is there any is there anything you put your, your finger on that would indicate that all these efforts to get him liberated, to get him out of that freaking prison uh, and even get, either get the charges dropped or get him put in a position where he would be untouchable to the uh, feds. You know, is there anything like that out there that you're aware of, Jim? Well, it's important to have uh, faith in Merrick Garland as a reasonable, fair-minded uh, government official. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I Hey, I, uh, I'm happy to see people Pushing on this, I'm happy to see folks raising hell for Julian Assange, who deserves a presidential medal of freedom and, more importantly, his own freedom. Uh, but uh, I don't see a lot of progress, but hopefully I'm missing things. Uh, hopefully I'm not up to speed on this. Hopefully there's other uh, you know, fires being kindled that could help uh, change the Biden administration position where they want to drag him over here for a kangaroo trial in the Eastern District of Virginia courts over in Alexandria, which is the uh, federal court that handles these national uh, surveillance security cases. And it's always a rigged trial because they have all these laws and all these procedures. And, you know, uh, fairness doesn't have a chance. Yeah. I, I, you know, I always thought, of course, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the, the stringent application of uh, what jurisdiction or locale the, the uh, trial, if it actually came to be, would be held. Uh, I was therefore always thinking that, well, the first thing I would do as his attorney is demand a change of venue. and get uh, some place, you know. uh, uh, the, but, uh, you, A part of my frustration here is that it's so completely rigged. I would I would love to see a uh, open, fair trial in which um, Julian Assange's uh, attorneys could challenge and uh, challenge the government's procedures as well as the uh, very specific narrow stuff the government will try to defend it for. Uh, but, um, you know, the uh, game is rigged. I mean, the, the uh, court cases on these kind of issues, uh, it's just, you know, uh, well, hell, it's uh, over. So you, yeah. your, your cynicism and my naivete, I, you know, we have a kind of a clash of, uh, of perception here sometimes. Like I say, I was totally unaware of the fact that, that there was a serious situation uh, as far as administrative of the rules of procedure and the law and the courts and and all the rest of that, I didn't anticipate even in my uh, even in my wildest dreams that he would have a fair trial. I just thought there might be enough 
uh, in the in the in the books of law and procedure that his attorneys might uh, might be able to pull a rabbit out of the hat. But uh, again, that's uh, that's kind of silly to, to ah, think that. Well, I would uh, I'd love to see that, and but but a huge reason why his attorneys and his supporters are fighting so hard against uh, him being extradited from Britain to the U.S. is because the chances of a fair trial here are slim and none, and slim yeah. just left. Town. Yeah, just left the building. Yeah, well, that uh, it's uh, difficult. Well, it's not difficult to believe. I mean, if you're rooting for the principled side, for the fair side, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard to accept the fact that uh, for everything that's been revealed in what the five years uh, he's been in that uh, stinking prison over there, it's um, it's uh, you would think that that some level of political pressure, uh, either from the public or within the public, but it's. There's no point. I don't want to beat the dead horse. There's no uh, there's no hope for it. I guess the other thing you possibly get is him out of prison and spirit him away to where, you know, Australia. Oh, uh, yeah. And I mean, this is this is the issue here. I mean, there's a lot of people who have condemned Edward Snowden for taking refuge in Russia. But that was one of the few places where the U.S. government could not seize him or kill him. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and it uh, doesn't. From what I've read, uh, it hasn't been working a hardship on Ed, uh, on Snowden. Uh, I hope not, because because he's someone who did us all a great favor. Uh, but I mean, the uh, Congress really hasn't fixed the law, and the NSA and other agencies, and the FBI and the FISA court are still a travesty. So uh, um, Edward Snowden did uh, you know great work for freedom and transparency, and you know, and he's in exile. So, yeah, that uh, that pretty much puts the period at the end of the sentence, except for the fact that for all the things that uh, Assange is going through over there, there is, you know, there is an unknown number of Americans that are going through the same thing in wherever they're being held in uh, isolation, solitary confinement, uh, because of uh, they paid a visit to Washington on January the 6th. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bizarre how how far the feds, the Justice Department has pushed those cases uh, I hate to see people being prosecuted for parading without a permit. I've done that a few times in my life. Um, it's different if there was if there was a private citizens who violently attacked, uh, you know, police or other government officials on January sixth. Okay, fine, hammer them. But uh, there is not, you know, it's like each month there's a lot more questions about what really went down that day. Well, I was wondering, uh, you know, whether or not the uh... The release of those uh, four was it forty thousand hours of whatever of tape of the entire incident. Whether or not that uh, is that all over now? Is it, the smoke is clearing away? The excitement's all gone. The media's not giving it a whole lot of attention in the first place, but they're what little attention they did give, they're turning away, and so it's just going to be another day in paradise. Um, and the big buildup to the release of those tapes. Uh, did reveal a whole bunch of stuff that seemed to be relevant, pertinent uh, to the uh, to those people that are being held. But I don't hear anybody or see anybody carrying the flag or making any moves to do anything about it. And that's uh, that's uh, I remember um, a, a member of the House uh, Green, I think it was, uh, had a bit on Twitter uh, a while back where she somehow got a picture of one of those guys in his cell room whatever where he's being held i mean it's about the size of a of a walk-in closet and that he's in there 23 hours a day 
Uh, maybe they let them out for an hour. They only don't always get a chance to shower. They don't always get a chance to talk to their attorneys. They don't always get anything, even fed from time to time. And I just, you know, you kind of, you kind of think that how can this be happening? Not just in the United States, but apparently a fair number of them are being held within the parameters of the Beltway. Yeah, uh, Julie Kelly's done some excellent work on this. She's been the, the journalist who's been most dogged and had some of the best revelations on these cases. Uh, some of the talk show hosts have pushed it. Um, it's something which I've, you know, I've been chasing other rabbits. I'm, I'm watching some of the headlines, some of the stories, and I've, I've written about January 6th uh, probably half a dozen or more times, but um, I have not, I, I've not had the chance to zero in on the um, most recent uh, uh, disclosures. Yeah, well, there's uh, it's pretty slim pickings. Like I say, the media doesn't give you a whole lot to go on unless you're checking in with uh, with the organizations that are working, you know, on their behalf, or the one or two Congress people that are working on their behalf, and so on. And even then, it's it's a it's a slog, and all you can do is rail against the injustice of of uh, of it all, and these um, these remarkable comparisons. Uh, of of people who uh, there was somebody the other day they did an example somebody somebody got shot and served twelve years but somebody who was in the Capitol that day got uh, eighteen to twenty years it's just uh it's kind of uh, kind of astounding uh, you would think that the you would think that back in the day maybe the media would get excited about that but it's that all seems yeah to uh, uh, something which could that. happen there's uh okay and I, I should know this I don't there are some key issues. In a lot of the cases where there were people sentenced for heavy um, sentences uh, based on nonviolent behavior, I think that was uh, the the, uh, the federal prosecutors have twisted a provision of the night uh, two thousand two or two thousand three Sarbanes Oxley bill, and this is being appealed. I don't know if the Supreme Court has accepted that, but uh, th- there has been some some dissonance at the federal appeals court level on this issue. And this is the kind of thing that could blow a lot of these cases out of the water if the Supreme Court steps in and says, hey, wait a minute, this is this is BS. And the Supreme Court has done that in the past on some uh, public corruption cases like the, uh, like the uh, prosecution of the governor of Virginia maybe a decade ago. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a slog. You know, it's a slog, but it's um, any, any, any progress. Is better than nothing, even though there uh, there seems to be such uh, hypocrisy and uh, and violation of of just good journalism on the part of the press to keep people informed and all that. But that's uh, that's not their job anymore. In fact, I think you pointed out that the press has kind of uh, fallen into a PR arm of the uh, the liberal wing of government, and that's pretty much the end of it. And just accept it and find your coverage and your information elsewhere, your articles and other people that are. That are doing that. I, I do want to take a second uh, uh, to thank you uh, in public for your uh, kind words about the piece I wrote uh, on Substack for the evil that some men do uh, dealing with the uh, uh, child molestations through this transgender nonsense. And if anybody uh, would like to read it, you can go. You can go to Substack and uh, and pick it up there. But I direct your attention to another article that came out uh, right after. I had written that article, and it's it's on the, on the Epic Times. Uh, the title of which is "Parents' Personality Disorders Driving Surge in Trans Kids." This is according to psychiatrists, and something that I don't 
was a, for those who didn't read the article, essentially the thrust of what I was trying to figure out was how this happened, how it happened so quickly, how so many people, schools and parents and courts and so on, and doctors, you know, were just uh, hell bent on, oh, this is a great idea. Boys want to be girls, want to be boys. And yeah, let's get on with it. And the uh, the term I hadn't heard, which is in this article, is transhausen by proxy. The uh, bring out the fact that the term uh, for narcissistic parents who are behind the big push for this so-called gender transitioning on their kids and and what a role it's playing in. And because that was one of the things I couldn't figure out. Uh, it's one thing when you've got the money uh, from certain sources that will get the curriculum into public schools, uh, Illinois, New Jersey, and, and uh, places like that. But it still didn't tie it all together, and especially the fact that there were parents that allegedly were out there cheering it on, thought this was a great thing for the kids. And, and this article brings out that uh, essentially there are parents, mostly mothers, wrapped up in their own narcissism that are are really behind this uh, this whole idea of encouraging their children to go through all this. The article says in one part, it's exhibited mostly by women seeking attention by exaggerating or making up an illness of children or others in their care. And, uh, and what an effect it's got. Uh, talks also talks about Cher, Sade, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Charlize Theron, and all the rest of these mothers' parents that are all, that they, they're just real thrilled about the fact that their kids are going through this uh, transgendering process, non-binary process, wherever the case may be. And it's um, it's a fascinating subject in a disgusting sort of way, but I want to make sure I got uh, this this angle that I wasn't able to explore because I didn't have the information available to me as writing that piece. But the Epic Times has this, uh, this bit about the personality disorders and so on. So if you check that out, I think you'll, um, it'll, kind of connect more of the dots than I was able to in that one that one article. Uh, before we run out of time, and we are running out of time, Jim, the uh, I neglected to tie up, speaking of loose ends, uh, the book. The book, when is the, um, uh, we got the first chapter, when do, <laughs> when, when do we get the rest of it? Uh, I'm hoping the book will be out next week. The uh, The Kindle version is set to go. The paperback is set to go. The, the hardback, I'm waiting to see a... Um, the final proof from the printer. And as soon as I see that, then probably I'll just uh, signal, yeah, let's do it. So hopefully next week. All right. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's the best we can hope for. We'll go with that. And uh, apparently there'll be a, a pre-order page at some point available. If that happens before we get together next week or if something prevents us from getting together next week, Jim, if you send me an email or something, I'll put it out on the uh, Substack. Okay, uh, great. Thank you uh, very much. Let everybody know. Uh, 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 thanks very much. I'll need all the help I can get to put this book on the radar screen. <laughs> well, I, uh, keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Uh, make sure that that's a good reason to go if you happen to sign up for the Substack uh, subscription, Brian Wilson Wright, Substack.com, and you'll be among the first to know, after me, of course, after Jim, of course, uh, when the, uh, when you can sign up for uh, for uh, Last Rights, The Death of Liberty in America, and so on. It's a fascinating. The first chapter is, uh, you can stop right there and have a hell of an experience. Jim, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot for the time. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. <laughs>